All right, if you've got your Bible, um, you can grab it, but I'm not going to be sending you straight to a text on a certain page because we're going to be flipping a good bit today. Um, I'll call out page numbers for the Bibles that are around you as well as giving you the texts, uh, but we're going to be flipping around a good bit. John told you that we're going to be calling a timeout through, from our series through the book of Luke. Uh, we've been going through the book of Luke for about um, most of the, the bulk of the year, and we are to the halfway point, not in numbers of chapters, but in the way Luke wrote it out. We're really done with kind of the, the portion that's about the, the person of Jesus. And when we get back to it in 2017, we'll be picking up with the work of Jesus. That's kind of how the book is divided. But we're diving into a series on the church, a nine-week series on the church. And one of the reasons that, that we're doing this it's because Providence has existed for eight years, a little over eight years. Uh, and in that time, we've seen the Lord do a lot of things uh, in the life of the church. And in your life, however long you've been a part of it, uh, prayerfully, the Lord has done a work in your life during that time. Um, we've seen a lot of people born again. We've seen a lot of babies born. Uh, we've seen a lot of people adopted into the family of God. And we've seen people adopted into individual families. We've seen marriages that were on the brink of ruin and, and, and collapse that are now strong and healthy. We've seen people grow and mature uh, in their faith and in their knowledge of Christ. We've seen people learn to forgive. We've seen people learn to repent. We've seen people pray and give and go. Like we got three uh, going to Peru, and John mentioned a little while ago. They'll be leaving on Saturday. Um, we've seen people serve the community. We've seen the church grow from about, from about 130, 140 in late 2009 to about 300 before we birthed a new church last year and sent 40 people out. And now, I know the Titans are playing today, so maybe it doesn't look like it, but we've basically replaced them. We're getting really close to having replaced those 40 folks that we sent out. And through all of this, we've tried to always be um, as biblical as like we've tried to build everything on the scriptures. We tried to build what we do as a church on the word of God, always seeking to be as biblical as we can be. And so we've you know, we take ourselves very lightly. And we're learning to take ourselves lightly, but we take the Scriptures very seriously. And on the things that the Bible does not speak to, we don't invent things and say, okay, we need to live like that. But on the things that the Bible does speak to, we very seriously say, yeah, we need to live like that. And so we're always seeking to be as biblical as we can be. And where we realize we're not, we seek to change. Like we do that as individuals when I realize I'm not as biblical as I should be in prayer or in evangelism or in loving my family and leading my family and loving my wife or um, uh, loving one another. I seek to change. I seek to make steps. I, I seek to, to, to work that out, to become more biblical. And we must do that as a church as well. And so that's what this series is really all about. I mean, the main focus of this series is to answer the question, how is the church to be led? How is the church to be led? That's the main focus. Because right now, while I wouldn't say that we are unbiblical in how we're led, I would say that we're not as biblical as we could be. And we want to always 
be looking at ourselves individually and seeing if we're biblical as we can be. And as a church, always bringing ourselves back to Scripture and seeing are we as biblical as we could be. Because, I mean, just being you know, very practical, you don't find anything called the advisory council in the pages of Scripture. Now, it doesn't mean it's prohibited by Scripture, but you just, you just don't find it. It's just not there. What you do find in Scripture is that a church is to be elder-led, all right? A plurality, multiple elders in one local church is to be elder-led, deconserved, and congregationally governed. That's what you find on the pages of Scripture. Elder-led, deconserved, congregationally governed. That's how the church is to be led. And so that begs the question then, well, what is an elder? What is a deacon? What is a congregation? How does that work? What does that look like? And over the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be discussing that together, looking at scriptures and how it lays all of that out. And we'll talk about it. And then, you know, ultimately, it'll come out to to you guys to decide, is this the way we want to move uh, in the future? Ultimately, it's up, up to you. But before we can start even looking at how a church is to be structured, how it's to be led, we first need to make sure we understand what is the church? Like, what is it? Is it, a, is it this building? Is it, what, what, what is it? What, and what does it do? And what is it for? And why does it exist? Where did it come from? And so that's what we're going to try to touch on a little bit this morning. Trying to cover what is the church in one sermon is impossible, though we're going to give it a little go. And so this will be 30,000 feet. Um, There'll be much more that could be said, uh, but this is just going to be a bird's eye view of of, what the church is. Now, with that said, I got to address something that I know some of you may be thinking right now. You're having a little mental conversation in your mind right now, and you're thinking this, are you kidding me? Nine weeks on the church? I, I, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a hard week. It's been a tough season that I'm in. I mean I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what you walk in here with. You may have heard that a lot. You may have lost a loved one. You may have a loved one or yourself who's sick, seriously sick. A diagnosis could have come to you. Job loss or fear that you're going to lose your job. Worry, anxiety about that. Your your kids could be spiraling in a way that is not God's best for them. And so you may be worried, you may be depressed, you may be anxious. And so you're like, man, I need a word from the Lord. And then you walk in and I say, we're going to talk nine weeks on the church. And you're like, seriously, no, 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 I need something. I need to hear something, something I can grab hold of, something that help me out of this, help me through these things. And friend, the church has everything to do with that. It has everything to do with that because it's in the church, Christ's body, God's people, where God most tangibly meets you in your need. It's in the church where He most tangibly meets you in your need. Like if you're a member of a solid, gospel-centered church and you get sick, watch what happens. They're going to be in your hospital room. 
They're going to be bringing meals to your house. They're going to be driving your kids to school. They're going to be mowing your lawn. They're going to buy you a freezer so that you can store milk that your wife is pumping because your baby's in the hospital in a feeding tube and can't drink it. This is what the church does. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen the church. You guys love one another like this. And in those moments, do you know what's happening? That's God saying to you, I'm right here. And I'm going to take care of you. So regardless of how you've come in here today, regardless of the difficulties that you're facing, you don't need practical tips. What you need is a church that like J.R. Vassar puts it, We're going to join our hands together. We're going to lay our lives down for one another. We're going to love each other. We're going to serve one another. And we're not going to cast each other out when we fail one another because we will. But we're going to give ourselves fully to one another for the sake of Christ and His mission on earth. Church has everything to do with what you're going through. Because God makes Himself most tangibly known through His Holy Spirit working through the lives of His people. And so this is immensely practical. The church is Christ. He created it. It's His. It's His idea. Matthew 16, He says, You are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you, against it. It's His idea. He created it. He died for it. He loves it. And He made it for His glory and He made it for our, your Good. And so that's why I think Cyprian of Carthage in the third century was on to something when he said, no one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. The church is a big deal because it's Christ's idea. It's his. And so let's talk about it. All right. Number one in your notes, what is the church? First thing we need to know about the church is that the church is universal and local. Church is universal and local. All right, so, so universal, the universal church, what that is, is it, is it is God's people made up of all people of all time across all geographic locations who have trusted through faith in the Messiah. Old Testament, New Testament, that is what it is. It is all believers of all time across all geographic locations. Sometimes it's referred to as the invisible church. Because you can't see it. And it's only, it only includes true believers. So you can fake it in here, right? But you can't fake it before Christ. He sees our hearts. And so he knows if you truly believe and therefore if you are truly a member of his church, his people. And so when Paul says in Ephesians 5 that, that, Uh, The church is the bride of Christ. He's talking in a universal language. He's talking of all believers across all time, across all geographic locations. That's the universal church. And so this is what the Niceno-Constantinopolian Creed that we recited earlier is referring to. All right, Written in 325, updated in Carthage in 381. We'll throw it up there real quick. This is what it's talking about when it says, and I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church. When it says one, it's talking to, speaking to the you know idea that that there's one universal church. It's not divided. 
Holy refers to the fact that it's been set apart from sin, it's been set apart from the world, it's been set apart from impurity, and it's been set apart to and for God. Catholic is not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic means universal. So this is speaking of the universality of the church. So by Catholic, we mean the invisible church, the universal church, all believers of all time across all geographic locations. And then apostolic refers to the fact that the church was based upon and founded upon Christ as a cornerstone, but the teaching of the apostles. And it remains faithful to the word of God today. And so there's a universal church made up of all believers across all time, across all geographic locations. And the local church is an expression of that. All right? The local church is an expression of that, and it's the visible church. And we can't see people's hearts. I can't you know, open up and see people's hearts, but we, to, to try to be as pure as possible and to try to reflect the universal church, which is made up of only believers, we work hard to ensure that as much as we humanly can, that members of this local church are in fact believers. That's why every single person who joins this church as a member goes through a pastoral interview and we sit down and or or, or someone connected to uh, a pastor we sit down and find out you know are you a believer how did you come to christ if you're not a believer we have a chance to share the gospel we've seen people come to christ through these conversations and then other people you know able to tell their testimony and we can join together and link arms as a church and so that's i'm talking about members there now, attenders, all right, attenders who are, who are part of the community of the church under the umbrella of the local church, I'm not excluding you. Like my three youngest daughters are not members of the church, but they're very much part of the community of the church. And so if you're here and you're under the umbrella of providence and you're not yet a believer, but you're, you're connected, you're part of the community, or you're, you're working these things out, you're thinking through them, you're sorting through them, then that's awesome. Welcome. We're glad you're here and we're here to serve you. And we're here to help you along in your journey. But actual members of Providence, a prerequisite is belief. The big word for this is regenerate church membership. Actual membership is reserved for those who have been regenerated by the Spirit. That is, they've been saved. That is, they've surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. On the basis of what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection in the place of their own. His perfect life for their unperfect life. His undeserved death for their deserved death. And his resurrection as a foretaste and guarantee. And the local church is marked by two, two things. Two things say this is a, this is a church. Like where two or three are gathered... Well, that's great. That's two or three people gathered. That's not necessarily a church. A church is marked by two things. One, the right preaching of the gospel. And two, the right application or the right, um, the, the proper administration of the ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the two major defining marks of the church. And other than a few references to the universal church in the Bible, like Matthew 16 and Ephesians 5 that I spoke of, almost everywhere where the Bible speaks of the church, and the word is ekklesia, that's the Greek word, almost every time it speaks to that, it's referring to the local church. And so when Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth, or to the churches in Galatia, 
these are local churches that he's writing to. And so just to kind of give you the idea of the way this universal church and this local church relate to one another, Mark Dever, who I'm going to quote several times today, puts it like this. The relationship between our membership in the universal church and our membership in the local church is a lot like the relationship between the righteousness God gives us through faith and the actual practice of righteousness in our daily lives. Like When we become Christians by faith, God declares us righteous. Yet we're still called to actively live righteously. And so, and a person who, who happily continues on in unrighteousness calls into question whether they, they ever had the righteousness of Christ put on them in the first place. And so, too, it is with those who refuse to commit themselves to a local church. Committing to a local body is the natural outcome. It confirms what Christ has done. And so if you, have, you know, if you have no interest in actually committing yourself to a local group of gospel-believing, Bible-teaching Christians, you might question whether you belong to the body universal of Christ at all. Because Hebrews 10, listen carefully. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And so the church is universal and it is local. And if you're a Christian, you are to join a church, either this one or another one that preaches the Bible. And you're to become a provider there, not a consumer. The church is not a, a mere tool for your self-improvement project. It's not the ace hardware where you go and pick something up when your spiritual plumbing is clogged. That's kind of gross, but that's what came out. <laughs> but that idea of just consumerism, that, that's a faulty idea, that's a faulty understanding of the Scripture. As believers, we're to be plugged in and intimately involved in a local church. But somebody's like, Joe, Joe, hold on. No, no, no. Um, you don't have to, to go to church to be a Christian. You don't. You don't have to do anything to be a Christian. It's just repent and believe. But that same Bible that tells you that you don't have to, in order to, to be a Christian and go to church and be a member of a church, is the same Bible that tells you that if you are a Christian, you should be a member of the church. It's the same Bible. And so if we start playing, you know, um, spiritual, treating the Bible as if it's some sort of spiritual buffet that we can pick and choose what we want and leave out what we don't, it, it goes bad. You get in trouble real quick. And buffets, just honestly, they never end well. I've never walked out of a buffet and been proud of what I did in there. (laughs) 
And so as one guy put it, our personal relationship with God necessitates a number of secondary personal relationships. Listen to this. The relationships that Christ establishes between us and His body, the church. God doesn't mean for these to be relationships that we pick and choose at our whim among the many Christians out there. He means to establish us in relationships with actual flesh and blood, step-on-your-toes body of people where we get to know them and they get to know us and we push one another along to faith and good works. And it's in that context that we get to see whether or not we're living out in practice what we claim. What we profess. And so we don't join a church because it's a good habit to grow towards spiritual maturity we join a church because it's the expression of what Christ has made us. A member of the body of Christ. He's made us a member of the body of Christ. And so we plug in deeply as a member in a local body of Christ. If you are a member in the body of Christ universal, you are to be a member of a local body of Christ. A local body. Church. And so that's going to be number two. All right. We have the church is local and universal. Number two, the church is a body. The church is a body. We're just going to hit a bunch of metaphors uh, for the next several minutes. The church is a body. Read Ephesians chapter four with me. So on page 634, if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, one that's in the back of this, the chairs. Page 634, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And notice where he's asking us to walk. Where he's asking us to live this out. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. By grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led, host, he led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Similarly, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 623. 
beginning in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The church's one foundation is Christ. That's it. We're going to come from a gazillion different places with one foundation of Christ. And then I can't say to a hand, I have no need of you. God has made us all members of one another. Some are hands, some are legs, some are ears, some are eyes, and some are unpresentable parts sometimes. And it takes all of us together to accomplish God's work. I can't be all that God wants me to be without you. You can't be all that God wants you to be without me. You can't be all God wants you to be without you. And you can't be all God wants you to be without you. And you can't be all God wants you to be without you. He calls, we're members of one another. He's knit us together. Number three, the church is a family. The church is a family. Page 634, back in Ephesians again. Chapter 2, verse 14. For He Himself is our peace. who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. He's talking Jews and Gentiles here. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Because at the foot of the cross, there is no room for, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. There's no room for boasting in anything. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, listen to this, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I want you to hear that part. Members of the household of God. What Paul is saying here is that as part of the church, in the church, we're not visitors, 
We're home. We're a family. We're members of the household of God. Being reconciled to God inherently means being reconciled to His people. And so, for example, Dever shares this illustration. If you are an orphan, you don't adopt your parents. They adopt you. And so if your adoptive parents have the last name of Smith, you now attend the Smith family dinners with the parents and all the children. You now share a bedroom at night with the Smith siblings. When the teacher at school calls out Smith, you raise your hand like your older brother used to do and like your younger sister will someday do. And you do this not because you decided to play the role of Smith, but because someone went to the orphanage and said, you will be a Smith. And on that day, you became the child of someone and the sibling of others. Only your name's not Smith, it's Christian. Named after the one through whom you were adopted. And now you're part of the whole family of God. The one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Hebrews 2.11 And so in Christ we've been made a family. All right? And think about this. If, if I was up here talking about raising Christian families, I would be talking about doing certain things. Eating dinner together, reading Scripture together, laughing together, praying for one another, on and on and on and on we could go. Yet throughout the discussion, hopefully, we would all remember that parents make mistakes and that kids will be kids. And that the family is not just an institution, it's, it's people. It's a group of people. And again, in the church, it's the same thing. And so when a church, or if you're a member of this church, all right, when the church fails you, when it doesn't meet your expectations, and if we haven't failed you yet, just give us a little more time. And I don't say that trite. I mean, that's just truth. We're people. We will fail one another. But as a family, okay, in this idea, when, when, when the family, you know, when the, when the church doesn't live up to your expectations, remember that. that we're a group of people and we're still growing in grace. We're still growing in grace. And so love one another, serve one another, be patient with one another. Like a family. I mean, if you think about a family, whenever your parents or your siblings or your children fail to meet your expectations, do you suddenly be like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out of the family. I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm going to get a new family. I hope you forgive them. I hope you're patient with them. I hope if it's your fault, you repent to them. I hope you're quick to apologize to them. And by the same token, in the church, this is what we do. We love one another. We bear with one another. We put on with one another. We persevere with one another. Different opinions, different thoughts, different... What, I mean, our one foundation is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so we love those who differ. We love those who fail to meet expectations. We love those who sin against us. We're a group of people that are growing. We're a family. Growing in grace. And God uses families to sanctify one another. The biggest sanctifying thing I've ever encountered in my life is sitting on that, 
second row, and there's another one over there. That's the biggest sanctifying elements in my life. We're a family. And second, it's y'all. Y'all sanctify me. Y'all change me. And so we press on. We persevere. We suffer along with one another. We're brothers and sisters, truly. Baptists love that. Brother, sister. But it's true. It's true. We're a family. Number four, another metaphor. The church is a building. And I'm not talking, people are like, whoa, whoa, he just said building. Not talking like a physical place. I'm talking something that's being built together. Okay? Something that's being built together. Not, not this building, but, but not a place. Look, look at Ephesians 4, I'll show you. Actually, no, no, Ephesians 2, just right where we left off. So we just said, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here we go. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so when we come to the, the local church with the idea, well, I want to love Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily I need, mean I need the church. No, you're standing in contradiction to the Word of God because He just said we do this together. Being built together. I mean, the whole Scripture is, is after you're a believer, you work that out, with local flesh and blood body of believers by loving one another and loving one another and loving one another and loving one another. This is how they know that you are a Christ, that you love one another. Who do you love? The people of God. Universal, yes, but especially right here, local. It's not this idea that there's a stone way out there all by itself but He builds us up together. And God's like, you're different sizes, you're different shapes, but I'm going I'm to put you together and make something spectacular. That's what He's called us to. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Picking up the pace a little bit. The church is a bride. Church is a bride. Ephesians 5, Revelation 19. You can go read that yourself. Next, the church is also a flock. 1 Peter 5. You can go read that yourself. And so you've got all these metaphors. Body, family, building, bride, flock. But above all these, if I was going to pick one metaphor to camp out on that I think encompasses the church that I would want you to hang on to the most, it would be this, that the church is a people. It is a people. It is a people. So flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Page 657. 1 Peter chapter 2. I mean, this is straight out of the nursery rhyme. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, and there's all the people. Because the church is the people. 1 Peter chapter 2, page 657. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, which is going to kind of review building again. And then we'll roll into verse 10, especially which speaks of 
people. Verse 9 and 10. Verse 1, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, for, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to to do. Here we go. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so again, look at those terms. Look at the corporate nature of these terms. You are a chosen race. Okay? A, A new race, a new people, not based upon ethnicity, but based upon Faith. This is the true Israel of God. Romans 9. We are a royal priesthood. Again, this is corporate, not priest. Priesthood. Right? And we minister to the world around us, but especially to one another as a local church. We are a holy nation. Are you picking up on the corporate nature of this? It's not a private venture. It's inherently corporate. And so if you've privatize your Christianity. It's just my personal relationship and substitute my private, almost, relationship with Jesus. And I don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. And if you view the church as just a place you come to to consume and get your spiritual goods and services, and so I'll go to this church to get this spiritual good and service, and I'll go to this place to get this one, and I'll go to this place and get this one. You're a consumer. You're missing it. And you're in contradiction to God's word. And you're robbing yourself of all that God would have for you in a local body of believers that links arm and walks together and presses on one another in love and in truth. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. Look at this one. We are a people, corporate, for His own possession. If you are a believer in here, understand that you are gods, like plural, like not plural, like possessive. You, you are you are owned by him. You are he he is he's your father. He's your father. He's your Lord. He's your savior. He, he, you are his. We're his children. That's who you are. That's your true identity. Not what you do. You are not what you do. You are His. 
It's not about what you do. It's to who. It, it, it's whose you belong to. It's whom you belong to. That's your identity. And it's the definition of the church. We are God's people. All of us corporately, members of one another. I need you, you need me. A family, not as a family that gets mad and then walks out on the family, but a family that hunkers down, admits fault, is quick to apologize, quick to listen, forgive as you've been forgiven. This is how Christ works in us. Found Dever helpful again when he writes this. We demonstrate to the world that we have been changed. Not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, pray before meals, tie the portion of our income and listen to Christian radio stations, but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, to forgive, and even to love a bunch of fellow sinners. He says, you and I cannot demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting all by ourselves on an island. No, we demonstrate it when the people we've committed to loving give us good reasons not to love them, but we do anyway. And so folks, get this. On the pages of Scripture, what we see in this speaking of the church and through all these metaphors is that it's, it's in the midst of, of groups of sinners that we've committed, all right? You've signed a covenant and we've committed to love. We've covenanted to love one another it's in that and in the messiness of that that the gospel is displayed. When we forgive one another as Christ forgave us, when we commit to one another as Christ is committed to us, when we lay down our lives for one another, die to ourselves as Christ did for us. And it's only together that we can display the gospel of Jesus Christ in this way. Can't do it by yourself. And so if you've got this little goal in your mind, well, I don't just want to love one little group of Christians. I want to love um, all Christians. And so I bounce around from here to here to here to here to here. Well, that's great. I want to love all Christians too. But here would be the challenge for you. First, commit to loving a concrete group of real Christians with all their foibles and all their follies and commit to loving them through thick and thin for 80 years. And then come back and we'll talk about your progress in loving all Christians everywhere. Live it out. Live it out. The church is a display of God's glory when it functions like this. So we live it out. And so putting all these metaphors together, a body, the church is a body, the church is a family, the church is a building, the church is a bride, the church is a flock, the church is a chosen race, the church is a royal priesthood, the church is a holy nation, the church is a people for God's own possession. Putting all of this together, the church, as David Nelson puts it, the church is the people of God existing under the headship of Christ to serve kingdom purposes by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. In a Trinitarian definition, the church is the people of God existing under the headship of Christ to serve kingdom purposes by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. This is whom Christ died for. 
He died for the church. He gave himself up for the church, not individual Christians. He gave himself up for the church, Ephesians 5. And so through all our faults, and there are plenty, universally and locally, love her. Love her. We're a family. And families push one another on. And families are there for one another. And families love each other through thick and thin. Families don't quit on one another. Families are just a family. And so love one another. Love one another well. And truly display God's glory through His people. The church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for your, the salvation You've given to all who believe in Christ. I thank You for saving me. Undeserving. And Father, I thank You for the church. The church that You've given to us and that You've called us to be a part of as providers, not consumers, as true members of, that we might work out together what You've called us to be and do together, corporately. And so, Father, help us. Help us to love one another like this. Help us to understand the corporate nature of the church, that it's, it, it is a family. It is a body. It is a people. And help us to love your bride like you do. We, look, we thank you for this. And we look forward to your spirit transforming us continually to be as biblical as we can be, both in how we understand what is the church and how we live that out and how we are led. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.